If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. This episode of the 10A Podcast is sponsored by TOC Public Relations, the only PR, marketing, and strategic communication firm that specializes in working with public safety agencies, associations, and businesses. TOC PR is also the parent company of Law Enforcement Social, which provides social media, PIO, and content creation training for all public safety. Be sure to check them out at TOCPublicRelations.com and LawEnforcement.Social. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, the gangbang with BC Sanders. Why are you even taking an interest? Nobody ever cares. If you want to study two types of cultures, look at police culture, look at gang culture. It's this idea of letting the whole world know, hey, I'm a gangster. But if no one is, is training them or they're not understanding what they're seeing, they have no clue. You could have a gang that you've never had in your city all of a sudden now be a presence. If you know it's in your city, you've got to do something about it. Everything runs in cycles. You don't know what it looks like when 7.62 opens up that head of a four-year-old. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire My clothes may still be torn and tattered To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. Even before I first wandered into the cab stand for an after-school job, I knew I wanted to be a part of them. It was there that I knew that I belonged. And to me, it meant being somebody in a neighborhood that was full of nobodies. They weren't like anybody else. I mean, they did whatever they wanted. They double parked in front of a hydrant and nobody ever gave them a ticket. 
In the summer, when they played cards all night, nobody ever called the cops. Goodfellas, The Godfather, The Departed, City of God, Scarface, The Usual Suspects, The Irishman, Miller's Crossing, Boys in the Hood. The list goes on and on and on. America is infatuated with gang stuff. The gangland mentality. You think of The Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, Sons of Anarchy, The Mayans, The Wire. The list goes on and on. America loves gangs. Why do we love gangs so much? We love gangs so much because we don't know anything about them. You know, they're elusive. There's this air of mystery about them, about what they do, you know? Kind of like cults. For me, I really like cults. I like learning about them. I like seeing, you know, what what happened and where they where they started and and how, you know? Very interesting stuff. Well, today, we're not talking about cults. We're going to be talking about gangs. My guest today is a detective from the South. His name is B.C. Sanders. You might know him from uh, back in November. He was on Punk Rock Cops. He is a contributor to Skillset Magazine. He appears on the Protagonist Antagonist podcast with Dr. Jason Piccolo. And he's been on my show. And he's going to be on next week for Punk Rock Cops 2. He's a, an amazing guy. He's been in the job for a very long time. He has seen the trends. He knows a bunch, a bunch of stuff. He does training, and I, I guess that's kind of where he's uh, his career is taking him now. Just an amazing guy. So much to learn from. We're going to go right to it. Longer episode today. So guys, strap in. Check it out. You are going to learn a lot, and hopefully you can take this stuff and apply it to your day-to-day life. You don't need to be a, a gang detective to implement what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk a little bit about that more after the interview. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen, my interview with B.C. Sanders. Here we go. While we do an episode that really like piques my interest, like when we're talking about cop stuff, and one of the things that I think predated me being a law enforcement officer was my interest in gangs. Um, I just think the whole everything about them is interesting. It's kind of like like the Illuminati or like a cult or a secret society, right? Like there's not a lot of information about it, so. I want to know more about it. And, and there's just not a lot of good information on the internet or whatever. I mean, there's that information, but it's very limited. But luckily today, guys, we have BC Sanders and he is the resident guru when it comes to gangs. BC, what you, what's going on, man? <laughs> what's up, buddy? 
Not much, not much. And and you are going to inform us all about the wonderful world of gangs. I mean, you you've been <laughs> yeah. you've been dealing with this for a long time, right? Yeah, uh unfortunately for almost 20 years. Oh jeez, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty long much time. Out, yeah, pretty much since I was a rookie. So yeah. So how how did that happen? How did you get involved with that so young? Yeah, so just right off the bat in in my city and obviously you can hear my accent. I'm I'm in the south. Um so and you don't uh, equate gangs to the South. And when I talk about gangs in the South, people often go, oh, well, you're dealing with wannabes down there. You know, you're not, you don't have the real heavy hitters or whatever. Well, unfortunately, things have changed in the last 20, 25 years. So as gangs have spread and through population shifts and through people doing prison sentences and getting recruited or brought home into gangs within the prison, they come back to their cities in the South and they just populate, you know, they start to recruit. So for me, when I was a rookie, I get my first beat and in our city, you know, we had beats. So we had areas of operation that you're responsible for. And for me, mine was uh, just a few square miles, a very, very small beat. And uh, at that time, a lot of open air drug sales. So, you know, it's just like you pull up on the block and there's five or 10 dudes selling, you know, in this location, five or 10 selling this location. And so my thing was like, I didn't, and this is no disrespect to, to people who write speeding tickets or have to deal with traffic all day or whatever. For me, I, I knew that's not the route I could go. I did not want to sit in a car and run radar or run, you know, write speeding tickets. So I was fortunate enough to get a beat where when I pulled up on a the block, there'd be dudes posted up with, with uh, bandanas in their pockets, you know, or what mm-hmm. they would call flags. So I'm like, what? Yeah, what's this about? So the more encounters I had, the more I was like, ah, this kind of looks and feels like a gang, you know. But as I would ask around, like senior officers or detectives, they were just like, look, rookie, get you know, get get back to work. These are wannabes. Don't worry about it. These dudes think they're bloods. They're mm-hmm. not bloods, you know. Or these dudes are the blue blue bandanas. Think they're crips. They're not. You know, these are just local kids. But we also saw the escalation of violence of people getting shot and killed. Dudes, you know, out in the middle of the street, throwing up signs and stuff. So I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter how these senior officers or these, or these detectives view it. Yeah, It's how the individual views it, how the neighborhood sure, views absolutely. it. Sure, absolutely. You know, <laughs> and unfortunately, how the damn bullets are being flown. Yeah. You know? So that was my thing. I just started asking uh, guys, I you know, hit them up when I'm sitting there talking. I wouldn't try to arrest everybody I saw. I would just talk to them and kind of condition everybody to, Hey, you know, when I'm working, when I'm on the, on, you know, on the beat, if I got to take you to jail, I got to take you to jail, but I'm not out here trying to, to hook you up on every little violation. So a lot of times the dudes would just be like, yeah, you know, he's, he's being cool. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. And I just start talking to him. And, and the more I would talk to guys, the more information I would get, then I could take that bit of information, go to another block and then, and talk about that. And then it would be like, no, 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 man. Like you, like in other words, like one block will be blood, uh-huh, be uh-huh. nine trade blood. The another block will be blood at that time. Gangster killer blood. I could go to another block and it would be eight trade crip, you know? So if I went like eight trade crips, I'd say like, you know, what's, what's all this stuff with blood and crip. And the guys would laugh at me and be like, man, like almost like, why are you even taking an interest? Nobody ever cares. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, but yeah, yeah. So it just, it kind of started like that. And it, and it, and it was like, as a lot of the first generation in our city, 
had joined and it started to, to kind of permeate throughout the city, I was also learning. And some of the other guys that I was working with, you know, that, that were getting interested in it too, we were all starting to learn with them. So it was almost like that first generation. We came up through the ranks in the department and they came up through the ranks in their game. Mm-hmm. So as they were making promotions, you know, we're, we're getting special assignments and we're working stuff. So it's almost like you mirror one another going yeah. through as, as all these other people are getting recruited. And so we went from having two or three nationally recognized gang sets to probably having to 50 to 55 mm-hmm. right now. It it reminds me a lot of the wire where they mm-hmm. have, you know, every episode, basically the, the police and the gangs, they kind of, they mirror each other, you know, so whatever the police yeah. were dealing with, the gang was dealing with the same thing. And that show from what I've seen is just more spot on with how mm-hmm. the police side is, is portrayed. Like one of the best, I think depictions of, of law enforcement is there. So a lot of yeah. my references will come from there, or at least my train of thought will be, but yeah, for sure. Like I remember when I moved to where I worked everyone said the same thing. Like, Oh, don't worry about the gangs or the, these guys. I mean, they think they're tough. They think they're gang members, uh, but they're nothing. They're just, they're just street punks. And I was like, mm-hmm. no dude, like it's, it's whatever's in their mind. If they think they're like, you know, a, a killer, well mm-hmm. then fuck it. They're, they're a killer. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And yeah. sure enough, like the, the adage that I once was told was like, these guys that think they're tough are actually probably more dangerous than the guys that, are because they think they have more to prove yes that's a a hundred percent true and anybody will tell you that on the landscape man the the guys who've been around for a few years they know it's the the young reckless guys who are out there trying to prove prove or or make a name for themselves it's the same as for a young cop you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) the senior training officers are out there and they're like look at this young punk you know he's out here trying to arrest everybody or, or getting in foot pursuits or stopping cars at, you know, five o'clock in the morning. It's new. You know, people are new to a certain culture or a subculture and they're learning their way and they want everybody to know it and see it. So you see, you see it. it you know, if you want to study two types of cultures, look at police culture, look at gang culture. The new gang member oftentimes wants to fly a bandana or a flag or beads, you know, in, in the South, we have a lot of uh, beads, you know, people wear them around their neck, around their uh, wrist. I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's this idea of letting the whole world know, hey, I'm a gangster, right? Cops do the same thing a lot of times when they first join a department. They're wearing blue line shirts, you know, or what, you know what I mean? Like all these yeah, indicators yeah. that, mm-hmm. hey, I'm a cop and my whole world is a cop. And that F 150 with the, the thin blue line sticker <laughs> on the back. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I'm not knocking anybody, man. I'm just saying it. It's that way. Like when right. you first. When you first join, you know, it's, right. it's almost well, you like think this about is my world. Yeah, you, you think about it, it's 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 like a showing of allegiance, but it's also like as that person, like think about how you were as a rookie cop. Like you were so proud. Oh, just hit my mic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were so proud. You were so excited and you wanted to show it off. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why people, you know, rep the thin blue line. They're like, hey, man, look at me. Like I'm part of this now. I'm part of this, this, this brotherhood, this this identity, this identity within an identity. And it's the exact same way with these, these guys or girl. I, I don't know. You're going to have to tell me if there's girl gang members and girl oh, gangs, yeah. but yeah, we'll um, get into that. <laughs> but yeah. um, it's the same idea. Like they now mm-hmm. have this sense of identity and, you know, from what I know, and, and it's, it's like a family, almost sometimes it's like the family that they never had. So they're going to rep it even harder. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody is, is different. Like, so the same way I can walk into a room and ask when I'm teaching, I can ask everybody, Hey, you know, everybody's got their own reasons for becoming a cop, right? Some people want to be a cop because they had a relative that was a cop. Some people want to be a cop because, you know, when they were a kid, a cop saved them or protected them or hell, they just loved watching cop TV shows or something or cop movie, whatever it is, everybody's got their own reasons. It's, it's the same, it's the same way. So not all cops are built the same or, mm-hmm. or are motivated by the same things. Like, like some people go to work because they truly care. Right. Like, so for me, it, I wasn't, I didn't become a cop because it was the best paying job in the town. You know what I mean? Like it, I took a pay cut to become a cop, right. but I wanted to do work that I felt was, was worth it and that I would be good at. Right. So that, for me, that was, that was my thing. And I've always been that way. Like I didn't, I didn't chase the money. I didn't leave my department, go elsewhere looking for more money or anything because I just, I didn't grow up with money. I don't expect to have money. So I'm happy where I am. You can also see gang members where some guys and some girls will join a gang and they'll, they'll be all about the gang. They'll know all their codes, their knowledge, their information. They'll know the rank structure. Hell, they'll know the rank structure for other lines within their gang. Like they just eat it up and then you got other guys or whatever they'll join and they could care less. They're doing the bare minimum. They're just kind of in it because, Hey, this makes it life easy because I'm going to go out there and sell, or I'm going to go, you know, do these petty crimes, put a little money in my pocket. But this is just the thing. These are my buddies. These are my friends. They're not truly in it. Their whole heart like that. Mm-hmm. Then you got some dudes that even within the gang guys are like, man, that dude or that girl out there, they'll put you in the ground. Like they love that, that, that like beef, you know, they want, they want their set or they want someone to fight or argue or shoot. Mm. And so a lot of times a really smart gang member will capitalize on that and keep those shooters kind of tight, you know, and, and play to their ego and, you know, give them those nicknames and stuff where it's always like their, their nicknames or their aliases are always, derivative of violence you know what i mean mm-hmm. so so on the block it's like if you if someone's like oh yo that dude goes by whatever merc you know it's like okay he likes to kill people well that dude goes by whatever hustle man or something stupid like that or, or fetty or something you know it's like money related then it's like oh okay this guy's motivation is money uh-huh. so, so everybody's got like their their own you know, personalities or their own motives for joining the gang so it's not like like when you sit in a sociology class like I, i'm i'm I've got a psychology degree and then my minor is sociology. So when you apply a lot of the stuff that you learn in college, it's kind of like, ah, it's a lot of almost like stereotypes, you know, like mm-hmm. people will tell you in a sociology class, like, Oh, kids join gangs because they come from broken homes and they have no other choices and all that. And it's like, ah, at least my experience in the jurisdiction I'm in, which is, is probably pretty similar throughout the South. I'm not going to speak on the rest of the, the country, but throughout the South, it's probably about the same in, in most of the cities that you've got gang members that, that some of them come from the worst family environments that anybody could experience. Others come from, you know, dual parents in the household, yeah. you know, making six figures, two story house. You know what I mean? Like food in the, in the refrigerator, clothes on their back. Like they have no reason to join a gang. They got everything going for them. Hell, they'll have siblings that are, you know, having jobs or, or whatever, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like they're, they're part of society. And then there's that one outlier in the family is like, I'm going to go join this set 
And when I do, I'm gonna put in work. Like I'm, a, I, like I'm gonna be the one. So yeah, I, I've 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 uh, interviewed guys. I'm like I've interviewed you know cops' sons who mm-hmm. are in gangs. Yeah, and talk, yeah, and talk you know talk to their dads, and their dads were like, I don't know what happened to them. They went like they just like a curveball, man. At, at like age 15 or whatever, they started hanging out with these dudes. They got it. He got involved in it. That's what he wants, and now he's got a bite of it. And you find out, you know, talking to other informants, and they're like, that dude right there puts in more work, you know, will will stomp somebody, will X somebody out faster than anybody else because they're trying to overcome that image. That, that image, yeah, of like, oh, your dad's a pig or your dad's a cop or you're rich or you come from the suburbs or whatever. So, it, like, I, like I tell people all the time, it's, like, it's the same as like why people become a cop. Everybody mm-hmm. has their own reasons. People have their own reasons for joining the military. You, 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 you can meet cops that come from rich backgrounds, poor backgrounds, abusive parents. I was going to say criminal backgrounds, like criminal. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the same. It, it's when you're studying any type of organization that survives, it's going to be diverse. Mm-hmm. So so gangs that don't that they're not diverse that don't allow, you know, other races or other cultures or whatever into their ranks will for the most part won't survive. Right. Cause they only have a certain demographic they're tapping into. Mm-hmm. So in the gang world, especially like in the South, you see a lot of gangs get away from what was, was very predominant 40 or 50 years ago, say in LA or Chicago, you know, so, so like LA, you got, that's where your, your bloods come out of your Crips come out of there. Sorenos, Norteños, you know, that's California. Chicago is a lot like gangster disciples, Latin Kings, vice Lords, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, maniac disciples. Like that's all Chicago origin. When you go back and study those gangs in history, a lot of times they stuck to one demographic because that's what, that's how they started. You know, a core group of kids kind of bonding together to fight against the common enemy. And then as those gangs spread and get into like thousands and thousands of members, as they spread through decades too they start to kind of realize they can, can get diverse and become stronger. Yeah. Right. So a lot of those gangs open up ranks. So here in the South, you'll meet, you know, Crips that'll be black, white, Asian, Hispanic. Like it doesn't matter. Like the ranks are open now. It's, it's not this self-segregating gang. However, our East coast movement, which mostly originated out of New York in the early nineties, so you have like an entire blood nations that are formed in New York based on blood gangs out of California. Mm-hmm. But on the East coast, they still keep that rule of no whites allowed. So like rule three or four in a lot of the UBN United blood nation, they have a rule in there, no whites allowed. So their demographics are going to be black males or black females. Okay. So in, in cities like in the South where you got diverse population, their rival gangs are going to expand faster. And so right. just by sheer volume, they're going to, so now they will lose out. You know, now I got a question on. based on that. Like, so you've got these, these gangs in the South, let's say the bloods where you've got mm-hmm. mixed cultures in there. Mm-hmm. Do the gangs up in the New York area or the LA area look down on those sets as like, Hey man, that's not a legit set because it's not following the rules. No, no, no. So, so the sets down here that are, that are, that when you trace them, so to be very specific, like if in the South, you've got nine trade bloods, 
nine trade bloods in the South are going to follow the same code of conduct and lineage and everything as New York. So when New York has rule number three or four is no whites allowed. Same thing down here. That's what I was saying. Like, gotcha. while they, okay. yeah, while they grew the fastest in the South for a lot of the cities, uh, and in some cities it may be different, but for a lot of the cities, it was the blood movement because of population shifts too. But, but when in the long run, when you're looking at the numbers and how it moves, you see massive expansion all of a sudden, like, you know, as, as we're talking to other cities and they're like, yeah, we got the same problem y'all have got nine trade blood or G shine blood, you know, sex, money, murder, blood, or whatever. It's like these blood sets that are flowing out of New York are just, it's, it's just like an infection, man. Everybody's just is joining, but if they're only going to stick to a certain demographic, there's only but so many people, you know, that they're going to be able to recruit out of yeah, it. So it's sure. where you see these other gangs come in and they may recruit, you know, some kid from the suburbs and that kid, he doesn't have to fall into a certain race or a certain category. And now his cousins can join. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, it, okay. it's, it's like, um, like if you're a salesperson in a pyramid scheme and now you've got five people under you, those five can now go out and recruit. And now you've got 10, 15, 20, mm-hmm. because there are no, you're not limiting to a certain demographic. So it just, it just boom. And it just, it takes off and you'll see the tentacles stretch out into all these di- different jurisdictions and different demographics where other gangs that that are homogenous, they're not they they'll spread, but they'll only hit a certain level, I guess you could say. Right, right. It's kind of it's going back to that pyramid scheme idea. It's like going, you know, if you you can only sell to black males, and that's it. Right. And then, yeah. then that's the yeah. only way you're gonna. So that makes sense. So instead of it being branching out like a pyramid, it's really staying more like slender, mm-hmm. more more like a, yeah. a straight line. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess. I guess my mindset on gangs is a little narrow minded then because I was, yeah. as you're explaining the different types of sets, even in like the bloods and, mm-hmm. you know, you said all the different um, versions. I was just thinking like, no, there are bloods, there are crypts, like, you know, more structure. Right. But the fact that there are just splinter cells within those, those, you know, umbrellas, I guess, I think that's. Yeah. The, the easiest way to think about it is think about blood as being a profession. Right. Mm-hmm. Not a gang, but like a profession. So if, so if you meet someone and and I hate comparing it, but like, let's just say talking to a, a cop. Mm-hmm. If I meet someone and they say, yeah, man, I'm a cop. I'm like, cool. I have no clue what department they're with, what state jurisdiction. I don't know their rank. I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I just know they are a cop. Think about that like blood. There's no such thing as the highest ranking blood. There's no. It's not one large game. It's almost like a, a like a profession. Mm-hmm. But if someone says, "I'm a four star, nine trade blood," right, and I'm in my jurisdiction, and I know they live in my city, then I know what gang they are. They're blood. They're UBN United Blood Nation. So that's the entire nation. But under that nation are sets. Now I know their nine tray is the set. I can even break it down to what they call a bloodline, which is like a, a like a squad would be on patrol for a police okay. department. Yeah. So if I know someone's alias, I know their rank within the gang. I know what line they're in. I know that they're nine tray blood. You be in, you know, I could potentially put them with people 
who they're going to probably be around every day or, or for the most part, their, their inner circle because of their line or their squad, so to speak. Same thing. If I meet someone and they say, yeah, Hey, I'm, I'm a cop. I'm like, Oh, cool. Well, where are you a cop? And they go, Oh, uh, whatever, Philadelphia. Oh shit. What are you doing? Philadelphia? Oh, I'm on patrol in this district or precinct or whatever. So I, if they give me enough information, I would figure out, Oh, they're a Sergeant on patrol on this mm-hmm. squad in this part of the city. It's the same thing with gangs. So when people are working gangs and, and this is for patrol officers too, if they encounter somebody and they're recognizing the signs and, and symbols and everything, and they're like, okay, I think I'm dealing with a gang member. The more information they can get out, the more they understand on their level, they're just identifying the person, the gang, whatever they can get on a different level throughout, maybe an investigation for a shooting a robbery, maybe a gang unit, gang Intel, the more they have on that, then they can go, oh, wow, this person is this rank. Now I can put them within this set, this organization. And it's just understanding, for one, how large your gang problem is. Mm-hmm. So the like we just talked about, when, when we're new on, a, on the department and people aren't really giving us a whole lot of information, a lot of times that's because they don't know. So they could literally have 10 different gangs operating in their city but if no one is, is training them or they're not understanding what they're seeing or they're not working informants and that sort of thing, they have no clue. It just looks like random chaos. Just yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a shooting here. There's a murder there. There's a home invasion here. You know, there's, you know, prostitutes showing up at this hotel, but they seem to be organized. Like, but then all of a sudden you tap into the gang world and you go, oh, wow, here's a crew doing robberies. Here's a crew running girls. Here's a crew running Molly and selling off the corner. You know, here's a crew doing fraud and they're all in one gang. And then all of a sudden it pops off against another gang and you've got all this, this violence going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the, the thing, well, I was just going to say that the thing no. in the South that, that I'm always trying to help people with too, is to understand because populations are moving. So, so many people are moving to the cities in the South, the population's booming. Mm-hmm. So you have people moving to the South that are already part of a criminal organization. And when they relocate, it's like, you know, I don't have a whole lot of pushback here. I'm going to start, I'm going to start recruiting right here. And you'll have one person recruit two to three people to five people. Now those three, four, five people recruit five to 10. And within six months to a year, you could have a gang that you've never had in your city. All of a sudden now be a presence, you know? So, so you can have Pyru bloods from LA you can have Bloodstone Villains. You can have Fruit Town Brims. I mean, you can have, uh, you know, multiple representation of different blood sets from West Basically Coast. Basically overnight. Yeah, overnight because people are moving here. Or you have a guy in your jurisdiction that goes away to, say, your your local prison or your state prison. And within that prison, he he may be unaffiliated, right? He could live out in the suburbs. He could live in a small town. He gets a gun charge. He does a robbery or whatever. He goes to prison and now whoever takes him in, he may join that set. Then when he gets out and he's like, I'm about this life. Like I, I, it sounds crazy, but like some dudes are like, this is just what I do. I rob people. I rob drug dealers. I rob corner stores or whatever. When they get back to their, their hometown, it's like, Hey, they're a made man now. Like they've been brought home, whatever that gang is. They start to recruit within their own town or their area where they live. And overnight, you can have these small towns that have, you know, 5,000 people 
can now have a gang presence and have and have no clue if they're not trained up on it or if they're just not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And now they, they could potentially have an escalation in violence because that crew is now doing whatever they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those, it's one of those areas that it's, it's like studying an infection. If you know, it's in your city, you got to do something about it. Yeah. And, and why not? I mean, why not address it? What are you going to do? Just not, and just go answer 911 calls all the time and, and not put people, you know, in a gang unit or gang Intel or, or street crimes, unit or whatever you want to call it, you got to have somebody that's going to address that problem. Yeah, I noticed that, you know, as you're talking and I'm thinking about it. So with the city I used to live in, uh, th- there was a guy, he's a filmmaker, very close to the gangs, right? Mm-hmm. In the in the thing. And that was how I learned about a lot of it. Um, I didn't get really into the gangs where I worked, unfortunately. And, but his little documentary he made, it was like an hour long and it was very interesting seeing it from their perspective. And you could see mm-hmm. like, you know, they... They didn't really break down the gangs itself, but they broke down the different neighborhoods in the city. And they were like, hey, you know, this is north side. This is south side. This is west side. And, you know, little little minor groups inside there. And same thing. Like they were talking about like, oh, well, we steal cars. We sell drugs. We do different things had different operations they did. And I as I watched that and then hearing you talk, I'm like, oh, man, this was all gang activity that I was more ignorant about than than not you know i wasn't i wasn't well versed in it and just thinking how easy it would be to start that conversation you know i think Mm -hmm. the one thing is yeah you can get out there and want to start making contacts and everything i think the hard part is getting uh participation from the other side of the conversation i think you know Mm -hmm. obviously it's it's to my mind it would be very difficult to get a gang member to lower their guard of you as a police officer as you approach Mm -hmm. them and start talking to them. How do you, how do you approach a gang member and spark up a conversation that isn't just fuck 12? Right. Yeah. Well, the, the whole idea, well, first off is we have to get it out of our heads that gang members do not want to talk to us or that they're not going to talk to us. Now people are going to hear me say this and go, Oh, uh, you know, you're old. You just said <laughs> you've been dealing with this for 20 years. You don't know what it's like. Everything runs in cycles. So you can go back and study Chicago in the 60s, you know, New York in the 60s, and cops were being shot and ambushed and executed. I mean, we, we've we kind of always dealt with criminal elements, but we've also, as, an, as a profession, had to deal with developing informants, intel, like almost staying ahead of the, the as much as we can their criminal activity on patrol it's the daily encounters it's the it's conditioning someone to understand how how you're going to react when you get out of the car so you know and and when I'm talking I'm talking about dudes that are on the block every day that are going to see you and I say on the block but they could be in a hotel it could be in a mm-hmm. neighborhood it could be in an apartment complex but they see the police roll through every day and they know the car numbers. They know the schedules. Yeah, they know sure. when the officer gets out of the car, they're like, that's officer so-and-so. And they got a nickname for everybody, right? Yeah. They're not calling about a government name. They're calling about whatever the neighborhood is nicknamed <laughs> that cop. And, and you know, when I was training rookies on patrol, I would tell them that, like, look, you're going to get a nickname. And you got to kind of think what your nickname would be from gang members or from drug dealers. 
Like, what is their first impression of you? You know, yeah. and so there, there, it's that idea of, am I going to get out of the car and yell and scream at someone and chastise them like I'm some, you know, weird parent from the 1980s movies or something? I don't know. It's <laughs> like, just get out of the car, have a conversation. And then like in the middle of the conversation, be like, all right, well, look, I don't waste enough of y'all's time. Boom, get back in the car and leave. Because you're almost leaving someone in the conversation wanting to still talk to you. Yeah. Now, to, yeah. in order to get the whole conversation started, a lot of times it has to be a different demeanor. So I was often criticized by people who would say, man, you, when you're talking to gang members, you stand completely different than you do talking to other citizens. Like you look more relaxed and, and that's going to open you up for an attack and all this shit. I'm going to tell you now, like you, you can still react to, uh, you know, a person who's getting aggressive or you can read their body language sometimes and know that things are going sideways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sure. if I get out of my car and I just go talk to someone and have a conversation, I'm not going to necessarily stand, you know, with my hands, you know, you know how, you know what I'm saying? Like in that cop stance, yeah, yeah. when all we're doing is just talking, right? Now I may do that if all of a sudden they, they blade their body, they're tapping their waistband, they're tapping their pocket, their eyes are darting over my shoulder, they're looking at the cut, their feet are angled away from it. Like if I'm reading all that, I'm not going to be standing there necessarily jaw like shooting the shit the yeah weather. right right or i may do that just to get a read on them and then go yeah old buddy's about to take off running you know whatever it is i'm just saying on a day-to-day 12-hour mm-hmm. routine get out of the car talk to people i've been i've been cussed at i've been i'm i'm, I'm not a pie in the sky kind of person when i get out of the car and talk to people i've been cussed at i've been told hey i'll cut your damn head off all that stuff. i've been through all that right everybody has the whole idea is to condition everybody to be like, at least that cop right there doesn't take this stuff personal. Meaning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't get out of the car. And if I get a gun off somebody, start high-fiving everybody and taunting them and be like, yeah, that's right. You go into jail. I told you know, all that stupid extra stuff. Like, yeah, that's dumb. So like for me, I, when I would talk to people, I'd always want to know what's going on the block. Like, Hey, do you think we're going to make it through this 12 hour shift without getting someone getting shot? And a lot of guys are like, man, why are you talking like that? Like, man, ain't nobody trying to get shot out here. I'm like, well, apparently because everybody's standing here on the same day, same time, like your pattern of behavior is the same. So if you got beef with someone, they're going to roll down this block or they're going to come through the cut and they're going to unload a magazine on you. You know what I mean? Like you Mm got to decide if you can get hit in the leg, the, the back, be paralyzed, dead, you know, and it opens up a real conversation where dudes are like, well, you know, like you can't stop it. Well, you're right. I can't, but you can, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you're doing things that are, that are going to contribute to you being shot. And a lot of times opening up to talking about people, if they're in front of say a relative's house and they're hanging out there or an apartment, it's like you're bringing heat on your family and they're going to get booted out. Or if somebody comes by here shooting at you, and miss and that bullet goes through that windshield or that front window and hits your grandmother or hits your cousin or your daughter. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and there's nothing wrong with explaining to dudes. Like I've had to lay it out for guys. Like you don't, you know, unless you've seen it, you don't know what it looks like when 7.62 opens up that head of a four-year-old and mm-hmm. there's, and there's brain matter on the wall and you walk them through something you've been on and have that human interaction where 
dudes will be like, man, stop talking like that. Cause they don't want that. Like no yeah, gamers yeah. walk around like, Oh, I can't wait to see my four year old catch a stray round. Like they, they worry about that stuff too, man. Like, like there's a lot of gang members out there with the weight of the world and stress on their shoulders. They got multiple kids, you know, they got drama with this girl and that girl. And when you break all that down and can actually talk to someone either in the cut or away from everybody or whatever, you start working informants and you're talking about day-to-day life and guys are like, man, you know, like I've had guys talk about, like, I got, I got three women and, and like a total of seven kids or whatever mm-hmm. with three different women. Like that's a lot of extra work, a lot of drama on top of whatever they got going on with the gang. And if they've got rank in the gang, they have responsibilities, right? They have to control the underlings if they're starting to get reckless. Like there's a lot of this, just human interactions and, and just rapport building that you can start on patrol by just talking to people and people are going to tell you to F off and fuck 12 and all that stuff like that. That's just what it is. And sometimes in an, in an area that's the hottest block or the hottest area in the city, you're going to have regular citizens out there cussing you, but they're also doing that to survive. Cause if the citizen goes out there in front of gang members and starts talking to the police, then, then the gang could retaliate on that. Right. They're like, what's going on over there? Yeah. So you have to contact citizens in the area offline, like away from everybody through phone contacts, you know, or whatever. Like it can't be just knocking on the door. Like, you know, that's always been done like on a normal canvas. Right. You just got, you got to, you can get information, but you just got to understand when a citizen is doing that, where, where a gang can see them or where the presence is, they're doing it a lot of times for just self-preservation. I've had plenty of grandmothers Mm -hmm. apologize because they never, they didn't stick up for me or, I'm sorry I called you this or that. You know, I can't be out there on the front porch, you know, not saying that because I need everybody to leave me alone in this neighborhood. Right, right. But, but honey, what you need to do is go across the street and, and then they fill you in. You know, Sure, sure. They stash I, everything in that little bush right there, you uh-huh. know, or the chip bag or whatever it is, you know. it's it, and, and, man, this generation right now of cops, they're so, like, way beyond – what we could have ever imagined as rookies. Like we thought we were doing good if we could just keep from cussing, you know what I mean? Like, or Uh or just, uh but man, like these are like almost like, like, um, next level cops, man. They're into, into yoga, fitness, you know, really like really cool stuff early on in their careers that hopefully they'll last that time. And, and I see it a lot with the younger officers, man. They don't, they don't lose their cool. You know what right. I mean? Like they don't get heavy handed. They don't start yelling and screaming. And it, and when I can kind of mold them, man, they're really, really, really good gang officers because they, they pick it up so fast. They don't have these old habits of, of guys, you know, like when, 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 when I was a rookie, a lot of senior guys and, and this generation's gone now, which is good. And a lot of them don't last, but it was that like, Oh, you got to control the block. You know, like you got to let them know that's your beat. Uh-huh, and all this stuff. Uh-huh, like, man, yeah. Man, get out! That's some. That's stupid. Like that. That's some old I, age, freaking. It, it, what it is, and it's insecurity. Yeah. It's it's officers who have never really gone out there and done cop work, or really like flipped somebody, got good information, or helped solve a murder, or helped solve. It's like they're they're out there insecure, and so they're trying to dominate other people and stuff. Man, it, and, and that's not the way to go. So just to 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 back to your question, it's like get out of the car, get out on foot, man, foot patrols. 
We're the best. Get two yeah. or three officers with you if you can. I know everybody's screaming right now, like staffing levels are low. Uh-huh, and, yeah. And it's kind of frowned upon, but even just within the last two or three years, we've still been pushing foot patrols because you get out there, you walk around, hit those cuts, show the rookies and the newer officers. Look, when, when this stuff pops off down here, you know, like when they're popping shots or somebody comes by and shoots the block up, everybody's going to hit this cut, this little shortcut between these houses. And they're going to pop out, you know, down here or whatever, this apartment complex. Yeah. So when your foot, foot pursuit starts up here, on a jump and run or some dude throws down a gun or something and you're calling radio traffic, going and predict that they're hitting that cut and let the other officers know, Hey, cover the other end of that cut. I need you over by this apartment complex or I need you over by here. It's like, like don't just get in the car and wait for a 911 call, like prep ahead of time, like walk those cuts, see what it's like, go over the fences and be like, all right, when this next foot pursuit, I'm going to pop this fence. Cause I've already done it like 10 times. Like I know, how to hit it and which way to flip. The only yeah. reason I say that is I've, I've, I've gone over fences like an idiot because I didn't practice or I didn't anticipate them. I put my hand through chain link fence before and punctured it. But like all the idiot, stupid stuff you can do, I did. So I always would try to explain that down the line and teach officers ahead of time, like, hey, know the lay of the land. Like they do. These dudes are out here all day. And sure, if, you don't, sure. if you don't know where the cuts are and you're a rookie – Look out the window where the grass is worn out. If you you have a jurisdiction (laughs) that has grass, like where the grass is worn out, that's the shortcut. That's where everybody walks. Right. And then you follow that and you'll see a a fence with like a little bowed end. I'm like, that's where they jump right there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So it's that idea of, and if you know all your players and you're out, you know, you're getting out of your car and you're talking to people. And even when people tell you to F off and man, I'll get out of the car and, and start cracking jokes on myself before the guys can even do it. Uh-huh, and then sure. they laugh. They're like, all right, I can't, I can't mess with this dude. Right. And you just squash it and you just, you can just laugh and talk and, and joke. And then when you do have to get in the use of force, you do have to arrest somebody and it goes really bad. Then you at least got people to be like, damn, you, you pissed off the one cop that's cool to everybody, you know, or mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. or you pissed off the one that at least we can joke with. And it's not acting like a robot, you know, like right. I said, man, the, the younger generation, I, I think that, and, and it's probably a testament to academies that have really adapted. You've got young man, these young officers that they, they just don't seem to have the ego problems that, you know, were, were around like 15 years ago and even maybe mm-hmm. 10 years ago. So it's, it's pretty cool to see that because they're the most receptive to gang training. And, and man, when they pick it up, man, they're really, really good. My goal is always when I'm training, is to take an, a person and give them as much of my gang information as I can. So that way they move 10 times faster than I do. And, and if I can proliferate my stuff to where I may be a gang expert, but if I can create 50 other gang experts, shit, you know what I'm saying? Like we're moving mm-hmm. at light speed now instead of sitting back and hanging on to my information and being like, well, I'm the gang expert. You got to come talk to me, you know, like, nah, right. I want no, you to want, know everything. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, when you're talking about everything about, you know, communicating with gang members or just people on the block, people in the neighborhood, what resonated with me was like, this is the real community policing. Like this is the stuff that we really need to push. Like even like, you know, you talk about community policing, like, Hey, go talk to grandma. 
go talk mm-hmm. to the people in the community. But for the regular beat working cop, this is the kind of contacts they need to make on a daily basis. Like I, I was just thinking as you were saying it, there was a corner store in uh, in my old jurisdiction and not thinking this way. I was thinking closed minded because I was raised closed minded mm-hmm. is that when I saw guys hanging out outside of it was to scare them off. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the problem is you tell them, Hey man, stop loitering around the, around this parking lot. You leave a few hours later, they're right back there. Like that's their spot. They're not leaving mm-hmm. the better thing to do. And if you go to the store and you go, Hey, you want these people kicked off? Oh no, no, no. They're fine. Well, then yeah. you're, then you're stuck. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the smart way to handle that is to get out every day, like you said, and, you know, hop in the store, grab a juice, grab a grab a water, whatever, and then try to talk to those people. Then, like mm-hmm. you said, you see the same people get day in, day out. It's almost like that old uh, Looney Tune cartoon where, like, uh, the wolf and the sheepdog, you know how they, like, they clock yeah. in day in, day out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they, they chase each other all uh, all episode, and then they clock out and, like, all right, man, I'll see you tomorrow. Same idea. Yeah. And you yeah. start building that rapport. And mm-hmm. before you know it, like you said, that's how you get intel. And even I'm thinking about it, you know, you see like little kids, like four or five that age, or even mm-hmm. like, you know, hanging around the school or whatever, you start talking to them. Well, if you're going to be on this, in this department for 20 something years, what's going to happen when that kid ages with you? Mm-hmm. And now he's in one of those gangs. He wasn't when he was four or five, but he remembers you. You would come by the block and you would like, I don't know, interact with him like a human. And yeah. now when he's got something to say, he knows that he can trust you and it just keeps going and going and going. And furthermore, you get like the one that was hanging out in the store 20 years from now, he's going to be a dad. And like when, when, you know, if they get out of the game, then it, I feel, you know, I feel like that's the cycle that we always forget about is mm-hmm. that like nine times out of 10, these people don't leave the neighborhood. That's just, that's just how it is. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the way it is. They were born there. They're going to, they're going to raise their kids there and so on and so forth. And neither are you, if you're going to stay there for your full career, you're going to be there too. So yeah. plant those roots. And I think what you're talking about making these street contacts is so important. And I think, yes, it'll help if you're looking to do gang work, just like you're saying, but just day to day street operation for patrol. It's genius. Yeah. And, and also, so if you're like, you're talking about two things, one, I've watched the, the, one of the cops that I learned a lot from, uh, about gang stuff. He was like one of the first cops that I knew on our department that was actually intelligent about gangs. And I've watched him diffuse situations before where like, uh, gang members that were starting to buck up, <laughs> he would say, Man, I remember giving you stickers when you were a kid and he would name the neighborhood <laughs> and you'd see the recognition on their face and they would realize, Oh, that's officer so-and-so, you know what I mean? So it's uh-huh, like, uh-huh. it's almost like, Hey, remember you used to be this young kid. I used to be the cop that would sit there and talk to everybody and throw the football, you know, but you also know that I'm the guy that knows everything about gangs. So kind of check yourself. Like, like let's, let's just relax a little yeah, bit. That. Yeah. So yeah. that, and then too, also like when you're working gang informants and you're working sources for more than, you know, and and I've said this stuff before. It's like people get caught in the cycle of informant work where they take an informant or a person and they're working and they're like, Oh, I want them to buy the most drugs or I want them to buy a gun. And then it's like, they're thinking short, short sighted. They do the buy and then that's it. That's all they ever do. 
where you can also work someone more long-term and do more Intel-driven stuff. But the whole idea, at least for me, is I'm always saying and probing like, hey, what what else you got going on? You know, because if they're already working as an informant, they want they want something out of life a little different than what they've got going. So they're not necessarily the true believer. But the whole idea is like, well, what you know, asking these important questions like, what do you want in life, man? Like, what like do you really just want to stay in this gang forever? Do you just want to have a girlfriend who's actually good to you and she works and y'all got a good relationship? And then you're going to screw it up by going to your gang meeting or going to a club, mm-hmm. do something stupid, get arrested. Like, and you'll find it a lot of times guys are like, as they get a little older, like 23, 24, 25, they're like, nah, man, like I'm, I'm kind of done with that stuff. Like I still want to hang out a little. I still enjoy having the status. I still enjoy what the gang offers me. However, I don't want all that drama with it. And I do just want to kind of, come home to this girl where I just want, you know what I mean? Like, they yeah, want, you want to dial it back. Yeah. They want to live a little less stress. So I've had conversations with guys like, man, you ever done a job interview, like a legit job interview? And dudes would be like, nah. So you have to actually talk about how to do a job interview, how to tie a tie. If you need to, to wear a tie to the job interview, if not, how are you going to put your best foot forward? Like, what is it that you're offering to an employer? Mm-hmm. And, and what's crazy is when you're in that day-to-day life, where it's survival, it's, you know, hour to hour mode where they're not, dudes aren't like thinking, oh, wow, I wonder where, not most of them anywhere, not thinking like, where am I going to be when I'm 25, when they're 18 years old? They're thinking more like, what are we going to do at lunch today? Or what are we going to yeah, do? At, yeah. You know, like, what's the next move? And it's more um, short term goals or, or, you know, like life. So when you sit down and you start talking about stuff, and some dudes have said, like, hey, I'm not going to be 25. Uh-huh. Like the rate I'm going, I'm going to be dead. So I'm going to live every minute I can. And you have to almost like, like each time you try to chisel away at that and be like, well, you decide that not, you know, you might, you may have made enough enemies out there, but you keep adding on to the enemies. Then yeah, your probability of getting smoked out here is, is, you know, getting higher. However, you fall back a little bit, stop hanging out at the clubs, Stop making people mad. Don't do any more street rips. You know, mm-hmm. like just fall back, man. Like just start cutting back a little at a time. Almost like weaning somebody off of something. And a lot of times, you know, it sinks in for some guys. Other guys, it doesn't. But then six months later, you encounter them and be like, hey, you remember we talked about that? They'll be like, yeah, you're right. And and what are you doing now? I'm screwing up. Yeah, you are. Like how mm-hmm. are you going to get you back on that path? How are we going to get you from – the path you were on before to this one, like this is you're, you're messing up. You are in charge of your life. So for a lot of these guys, once they get into the gang and stuff, it's like I said, that day-to-day survival mode, they almost like give up on their own destiny. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like they're just yeah. looking at it like, Oh, we're going to hang out today. Or I'm going to go to the club or I'm going to do this. So almost like, man, you could change all of that. You can change your entire life. And so there are some gangs out there that, you know, a, a lot of them are pretty hardcore about once you get in, you can't get out basically. Because yeah, right, right. The game. There are a lot of gangs, though, now as things are evolving and adapting, there are gangs that are like, nah, like, uh-uh, we're, we're not going to hold on to members that don't want to be with us. If their heart's not in it, let them go because the, you hang on to them, they're causing more problems. It's like a disgruntled right. worker. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
you you run a business and you got 10 people that work for you and three of them come in every day complaining they're lazy they can't get anything right you don't want to hang on to a man like you could just be like well you well i hired you because i wanted you to work you're not gonna work hey it didn't work out you want to leave cool leave your tools or leave whatever your equipment here <laughs> yeah walk on down to so a lot of gangs have learned like it's not worth trying to hang on to members that are not happy, that are disgruntled. Or, man, a big trend in the South is flipping. You'll have a person who is, let's say they're they're um, you know sex, money, murder, blood, right? So they're they're flowing a, a, a East Coast blood set, and there's you know five nine brim down the street, or or they know a cousin that's in five nine brim blood, right? So they start talking to their cousin. Their cousin's like, you know, your set's messed up. My set's better. And this is why, you know, we offer this or we don't charge dues. You know, we don't give out disciplinary punishment when you screw up. You know, you're not getting beat at meetings. It's almost like sales pitches. Yeah. Yeah. Guess, guess what else is going on? Same thing in the police world, right? Like right. police departments are, are trying to steal the talent from other police departments. Same thing, man. So you'll have someone who, never be a gang member they get they get brought home or they get into a gang and let's say they're five nine brim they're five nine brim for three or four years and then like i said they meet somebody in sex money murder and they're like man i like what they got going on so they leave this set and what they call flipping to another set so they're no longer five nine brim they're now sex money murder they're Mm -hmm. no longer with the municipal police department, they're now with the sheriff's department. I hate using those analogies, but that's no, it but it's good and it's breaking it I down think. so we we understand it and like that makes so it's sense. the same thing. Absolutely. So 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 if if some and this really starts to get confusing for some people as they're learning gangs, they get a little overwhelmed and go, "This is just too much. I don't want to learn it." Because you can have someone have five nine brim tattoo. And all of a sudden they're telling you they're sex, money, murder. Mm-hmm. And people will be like, oh, that dude's lying because he's got five, nine brim. I see that tattoo, you know. And it's like, all right, well, they were, but now they flip the sex, money, murder. That's that's a, I don't know if across the country it's that way. In the South, when I'm talking to like other jurisdictions, they're seeing the same thing. So it's it's probably because it's it's still in its infancy. You know, you're dealing with like 20 years, 25 years to where you don't have generation after generation after generation where people are, are kind of being blessed into the gang and be like, yeah, my dad was five, nine brim. My uncle was five, nine brim. You know, they're new to the set and they're like, okay, well it's not meeting my needs or some, some sets will offer rank. So in this scenario, citizens, five, nine brim blood, he's not happy. Sex, money, murder may say, look, you're just, you know, entry level, basically you're just a little soldier over there, a little homie. You flip here and I'll make you a one star, you know, one star general. So you'll hold a little rank and you can actually now have people under you. So it's like a promotion. So someone leaves yeah. the city department as a patrol officer, but maybe the sheriff's department hires them and says, hey, we'll hire you as a sergeant or a corporal and uh-huh. give you a pay raise. It's the same thing. Yeah. So they're, idea. They're, yeah, they're enticing people and pulling pulling the talent like that, which can also cause drama. If someone leaves a set, they join another set. And with them, they take those secrets and the strengths and weaknesses of that set and who the shooters are and who, who don't have mm-hmm. the heart, you know, they take that with them 
And then now if they leave that set and they're really pissed off and mad at, at their former um, unit or their former set, then you could have beef that way. Right, right. And then that's how you get turf wars and things like that where – Potentially, you know, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and you can also – you have someone leaves like that, and then when they leave and they go to that other set, now they're going to – if they if they t- if they leave, they may take some of their subordinates with them if right, they have rank. right. So we've had guys flip that are ranking members and they may take five or six members with them to a new set. We, we've also had an, an entire set of, say, 25 – we just pick one. We just say Sex, Money, Murder – that are 25 Sex, Money, Murder uh, gang members. And then another set comes in and says, look, break away to, to the highest-ranking member in that, that local set. Break away and come with us. And you can and you can have everything. We'll give you the five star. You'll hold as as many people as you want. You can recruit as many as you want. So if you have someone who's really motivated and they're a charismatic leader and they're really good at recruiting, they may take all their players, join that new set, and now that set is a force multiplier. Now they've gone from say thirty to damn fifty or fifty five mm. members overnight. And if the highest ranking member there is pushing an agenda to take over the whole city or to take over all the sets, that's how they do it. It's like a hostile takeover. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So they, yeah. can, they can give these peaceful pitches and say, okay, you know, you come, you, you bring your people with us and, and join our set. And then if that person says, nah, I, this is me, I'm five nine brim, you can keep that sex money murder. And now you got static or you, you got, you know, you got beef where, these two clicks or these two sets are like, okay, one way or another, you're going to be with us or you, or you're going to, you're going to be X'd out. Like we're not going, we're not going to put up with that. You could have joined us peacefully, but now you're our enemy and that's all leadership. So if you have a, that's where I say like working gangs, if you know the leadership and you debrief enough sources, enough people around that leadership to get an idea of what are their moves? Like, what is it they're trying to do? Are they just about money? Or are they power hungry? Do they have a personal grudge or beef with some other gang member, ranking gang member? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we've had sets go to war because the two ranking members hate each other's guts and they have hated them for two or three years. But now they got an army under them each and they just boom, they go at it. Right. So that, that idea of if you know who the most, the problematic leadership is, that's who you go after. You don't always necessarily go after the highest ranking member. You go after the one that's got some type of ability to influence violence within that set mm-hmm. and get a gun gun charge on them. Hell, you get a fraud charge, whatever they're into, focus on that. And then when they're gone, it's like having a, a abusive manager or supervisor get fired or whatever. Like once they leave, now everybody's happy. They're like, oh, cool. You know, we yeah, don't have to walk yeah. around. We don't have to walk around, follow his you know stupid rules anymore. He's gone. Yeah. What, what kind of goes to my head. So, you know, I'm, I was saying in the very beginning how I've always enjoyed gangs. I always found it very interesting. And like my frame of reference was the Sopranos, like that, that kind of mafia type Mm -hmm. ranking structure and, uh, outlaw motorcycle clubs. Okay. Um, Those were one was because, you know, I grew up watching mafia shows and one was because, uh, there was a heavy, uh, biker gang, presence where i used to work so mm-hmm. when you say that i thought of uh, a 
a part of the Sopranos where there was a capo that came out and he was just a, I think he came out of prison. They gave him back his, his, his situation Mm. and everyone just hated him. He was just a piece of shit. So they, they did. There was a, there was a snitch and they basically got him, got him yanked back out. So I just thought just like that. And I, I feel like going back to what we were saying about, you know, you lay the groundwork when you're a patrol officer and you get in good with somebody like you start getting these things, you could even predict crime trends, you know, violent crime mm-hmm. trends when you start yeah. knowing what's going on. They go, hey, man, you know, the the five star and this set and this guy mm-hmm. at this set, you know, they've been beefing for a while. It's about to boil over. You can say like, all right, there's going to be a shooting, you know, in yeah. this neighborhood. So. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's that's and and there are plenty of cases where I can sit there and explain it and go, look, this, this happened. We knew this happened and we knew this was going to be the fallout. And if you've got really good informants, you start to find out if there's any plots going on. Okay. Hey, so-and-so is going to you know play at this club. Everybody knows, you know, both sets are going to be there. Somebody's going to get shot. So, you know, you set up heavy patrol in the parking lot. You got overwatch so that you can, you can see, Boom, there's a dude right there tucking a gun mm-hmm. in his white span, calling the, you know, the, the van or calling the people to, to jump out, boys, whoever you got, like come in, stop that dude, get that gun. And the, and the more arrests someone sees at an event, the less they're going to be willing to shoot somebody. I mean, for the most part, I'm, you got some reckless dudes out there. Sure. But that's, how, that's how you start to disrupt that, that violence. And there's nothing wrong when you make that arrest. And you get that gun, and it's obliterated serial number, it's stolen, or they're a convicted felon. You call an alphabet boys to come in to adopt the case. Like, there's nothing wrong with telling that gang member the whole reason you got wrapped up tonight, the whole reason we're even here, the whole reason we're doing surveillance on the whole parking lot, the whole reason we watched you put the gun in the waistband. Like, this is a done, this is a wrap. You're gone. It's because of this beef. And you explain it to them. Mm-hmm. Your leadership is beefing with this leadership. Everybody knows it, right? So you can thank them for getting this gun charge. And a lot of times, guys will, will break down and be like, "Yeah, man, I'm not even, tr- I'm not even trying to be part of this." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be caught in this stuff. However, orders are orders, or you know that the that whoever you got beef with is going to be there. If they got a gun, you better have a gun, right? So it's that idea of of talking to people and explaining to them. Your gang is on the losing end, right? Because if I can sit in the interview room and show you every hand sign that you know, explain to you your entire rank structure, your hit em ups, know your oath, your your chain of command, your everything. If I know all that, then what what kind of crimes do you think I know about? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like this secret society is no longer secret anymore. And now you have to decide as an individual what you choose to do with your life. If it is going to be to continue with this gang, understand you are on the losing end. We already know most of what's going on. (laughs) It's a matter. It's a matter of time before you get caught with a gun, before we get a gun with your prints on it, before we have video of you doing drug deals or fraud or whatever. It's like, understand the full force of the department is coming down. We're bringing in, the alphabet boys, like like everybody is going to focus on your game because we're sick of the violence. We're sick of seeing kids getting shot. We're sick of seeing grandmothers getting shot. So understand that everyone knows about your gang and everybody's focusing on it. 
So you choose to either fall back or stay active and know that when you get arrested, decide how many years you're willing to do in prison for this game. And, and if you're good with that, if you're good with 10 years or five years or 15, keep doing what you're doing. But, but if you want out or if you want to change that cycle, you have to do it. Now you're armed with this information. Go back at your next meeting and tell everybody. And if people know everything about us, they're on us. Because guess what's going to happen? That set is now forced into self-preservation mode. They can no longer go on the offensive mode and go out there and shoot and do all that because they know they're being watched. Mm-hmm. And they know that we know everything about that organization. So one, it's hard to recruit when you're on the losing end and the word gets out on the street that that the local police, you know, the, the other agencies, the FBI, the ATA, everybody's in on it, DEA, like, like that's it. They're yeah. not going to stop until either the violence stops or, or everybody's arrested for drug charges, gun charges, whatever. And when you, when you lay it out, and it's not mean, it's not, it's a very firm tone. Like this is, this is the future of your, of your game. So you decide as an individual, how many years you're willing to do for the game. And, and a lot of times when you can talk to people and, and if you know anything about their personal relationships, you sometimes have to talk to them in that tone. Like, Hey, you have three kids you need to take care of. Like, why are you getting caught up in this? You know why, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, you got to yeah. get them to stop and think about it. And a lot of times, man, like, I, and I tell people this, and I think they take it the wrong way or they think, I don't know what I'm talking about when I say it, but 80% of the gang members are not robots. You know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. they, they're making rational decisions or not rational, but they're making uh, impulsive decisions that if someone will sit there and guide them or mentor them or just be like, you know, like the sales pitch that they were told about the gang is false. Right, you know, right. We know everything about it. So the the idea, because it's very easy for someone to join a gang at a young age and be told the cops don't know anything about us. We can speak in code. They don't know anything, you know, with a, with a cop killer right up in their face and they won't know what it is, right? The cop killer hand sign, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's like, and and when when a young gang member sees that and sees how, ignorant local law enforcement is then it kind of builds that resolve of the gang and then you got the internal drama within a gang where a, a gang member may get away with a shooting or a murder and then all this these like rumors start like oh they got cops on the payroll uh-huh, and, you know uh-huh. they paid off a judge and you know and these 15 to 16 year old kids are buying into all this or the opposite is every meeting they have because most gangs have meetings at least once a month when they're at the meetings and they're having to talk about the activity and the, and the activity goes from, Oh, we're going to do this or we got beef with this person or that person to, Oh, wow. We got five locked up this week. So now we got to put money on their books, try to take care of their families. Cause we promised them we would. Cause that's what, the, that's the whole reason everybody's paying dues in this gang, you know, cause gang, like a lot of gangs, at least in the South, a lot of special blood sets will set up dues meaning that every month they have to pay a certain amount of money. So a lot of these sets were charging $31 per month. Mm-hmm. So a lot, you know, the, the average citizen who's, who's making a really good salary, they think, well, what's $31. But when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, and you're having to pay $31 at these meetings and you don't have a job, how are you getting this money? Right. 
so you can see it. You can see a correlation with an expansion of a blood set or any set that charges dues like that and petty crimes like car break-ins and stuff like that. Or some kids will try to learn how to sell some drugs that, you know, early on like that in order to make money so they can pay their dues. So how it works, you go to a gang meeting, you have the upper echelon that have a side meeting, right? Just like mm-hmm. any organization, right? They meet, they talk, they figure right, out like a manager's they, meeting. Exactly. Then all of a sudden they address the troops or the lower ranking soldiers, and then they'll sit around and talk. And and, and uh, oftentimes it's usually organized. Someone is taking a roll call, so they'll have a list of aliases or the the monikers of the the members that are attending. Because they have to keep attendance, right? Mm-hmm. So let's keep it simple and say you've got twenty members that are attending. So it'll have their aliases out there to the side, you know, homicide, merc rims, whatever their aliases are. Then beside that will have dues paid, right? So if this set is an East Coast blood set and they're charging $31 due, then each member has to pay $31. So they go through and and each person pays their $31. The secretary writes it down and keeps track of it, right? That money is collected and then is supposed to be for the good of the gang, meaning if someone gets locked up, you can take a portion of that money, put money on their books while they're locked up or put money in their account in jail so that they can afford things, right? Or put money uh, towards paying for their rent or their grandmother needs groceries or whatever. It's supposed to be this community money. The problem ends up happening is once they start getting multiple arrests, they can't put money on the books. They can't pay rent. They can't. People aren't getting their dues back that they paid. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it breaks down that resolve. Also at these meetings, if you don't have $31, you can be violated. So you may have a young kid come come to the gang meeting. He didn't have his $31 and he gets beat for a certain amount of time. It mm-hmm. might be 31 seconds, right? So now you got a kid that gets beat up in front of his peers. And one, he doesn't have any money, so he's broke. And now he's all busted up. And he's got to sit back down with empty pockets and a swollen head, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how all that. So now what do you think the next meeting? He's he, he doesn't have to have $31. He's got to have $62. So now he's not going to come back to the next meeting empty handed or empty pocket. You know, he's going to go out and go commit a crime or go somehow get money for that next meeting. Right. So as, as people are working gangs on different levels in their jurisdictions, and they start debriefing people and someone wants to talk about a gang and you find out they're charging dues that I can guarantee you that gang will grow faster than any other gang in the city. Because the incentive is if you are a ranking member in that gang and you get more subordinates under you, that's more of a cut of the money. It's a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. So if I've got 10 people under me and they're all paying $31, I get to take a cut of that money. If all of a sudden now I recruit 20 people, I get more money, right? I don't have to do anything. They just got to keep paying their dues. They're going to pay their dues because I'm going to beat them senseless when they don't, mm-hmm. right? I'm extorting money from them, right? So that's why I say like knowing all these small things that that a lot of people would say, why do I care if a, if a gang is charging dues? I just care if they go out there and commit a crime, I'll charge them with a crime. True. And a lot of gang members get caught that way. 
But if you're trying to, to allocate resources in a department and determine what you're going to do, keep a gang unit, don't have a gang unit, stand up a gang unit, you know, you, and you have intel like that, get ready because that's how that gang is going to spread. They're going to spread faster because of that, because people have a built-in incentive to get more members within the gang. Now, that gang can go from 30 to 300 in just a few years or less. Also, that a gang that grows that fast is weaker in the sense that you can flip more into informants because they're, the, the motive a lot of times is trying to get the numbers up for the paying the dues, not necessarily quality control of the gang members coming in and who they're joining. I mean, there's just so much to it and it all kind of ties into the rest of policing. Like even, even property crimes and petty crimes, like it can all get tied back into it. And I'm thinking like, if you see like, like a little while ago, we had a rash of car burglaries happen in my jurisdiction. Now we don't have gangs or, you know, at least, that I know of, but mm-hmm. they come from other kind of bigger cities hit my area. Cause it's a nicer area. They know that there's going to be more to grab in my area, but you look at it and it's the same suspects in all 50 car burglaries we had overnight. Mm-hmm. Now you start thinking like, Oh, well that's probably someone is organized for some reason to do all these car burglaries and go mm-hmm. find out that it's a stolen vehicle and that, you know, and you kind of follow it from there. It's not just the simple, you know, why, you know, why are these kids committing these crimes? There's more to it than that. And yeah. I think as, as you are talking and you're peeling back these onions I'm, or the, the layers of this onion, I'm like, man, it's, it's almost clear as day when you start looking at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Because you can also look at, well, why, like, you know, you're going to have some kids steal a car to go joy riding. And that's about it. But a lot of like the, the trends are you, you're stealing the car to go do larger crimes or a drive by or, you know, uh, a robbery. You know, you've got some some gangs that sadly will go and do decent like robberies, like they're halfway organized. So they're hitting sweepstakes places. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like where people yeah, are yeah. gambling or whatever. Like so uh, hit, uh, online casinos or whatever they are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they'll go in and hit these places because they all deal in cash. Oftentimes their security, they may not pay anyone for security and they'll come in and hit those places and get 30 or $40,000 in cash. But if they go, you know, rob a gas station, they may get a couple hundred. So it's almost like, robbing and and they're open 24 hours a day so they can go in at, at night when there's hardly anybody out hit that place and then they're gone whereas if they were to try to go rob a bank or something they got to get in and out and go through all these different procedures you know what i'm saying it's like it's a quick hit and an easy hit and in the gang world if someone does that and they get all this money the next crew's like damn they just got 30 stacks off of robbing the sweepstakes place Man, let's hit let's hit one tomorrow night. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Or a crew will sit there and hit three or four in a two or three day period and have you know a hundred thousand dollars like it's nothing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So that whole idea of you know if if a city is serious about violent crime, which they should be, because the pendulum is swinging right now to where the average citizen is sick of the violence. Yeah, because it affects them. 
So what's going to happen now is the pendulum's going to swing. Any type of leadership that has a spine, which luckily we have, we still have good sheriffs and good um, chiefs out there who have kind of been waiting and saying, okay, we're, we're going to weather the storm, but now we're going to go back to doing what we do best, which is, you know, arresting violent, violent gang members or violent uh, drug dealers or whatever. And we're, and we're going to try our best to make the streets as safe as they were before. Right. right. The drawback right now is going to be when that pendulum shifts and when it does, a lot of the newer officers are, are lacking in those skills only because the they last haven't had four, to use them. Yeah. The last four or five years, people have either, you know, the senior officers have now moved on to other assignments or have either retired or gone to another agency or have just been like, I, we don't have to use those skills and they almost become perishable. And right. it has to be too, where an officer knows or feels like they're supported enough to go out there and stop a car and work their way up to a search or work an informant and the informant gives you info in order. You know what I mean? Like it's a huge step for a newer officer to do something like that when there are all these news stories and these, and these huge media uh, incidents or whatever. But when that pendulum shifts, hopefully you're going to see people take advantage of that in departments and, and actually build almost like divisions, not divisions, but sections within a division it just focuses on gangs on every level, street level, drug sales, prostitution, like whatever it is, everyone kind of has to share a brain. So if you have a human trafficking unit, you just have to have like a gang intel that, that goes and meets with, with human trafficking. It's like, okay, y'all working human trafficking. Who's your circle? Who are you people you're working? And then they give you the name. You're like, oh, you know, that dude's Spanish gangster disciple. All right, boom. This is what we got, right? So it's just this whole idea of addressing the gangs. Then you, then you curb the violence. Then you get into all the other aspects of it. But, but a lot of agencies have to choose their resources. So they can't say, oh, wow, yeah, we've got 40 detectives that are going to work nothing but proactive cases. They don't have that. So oftentimes right. you have some guy or girl or whatever who's sitting in the corner and they're like, that's the gang expert because that person yes. went to a gang yes. class, yeah. right? And then that person is overwhelmed because all of a sudden no one has ever given them attention. And now they've got the chief saying, uh, I need a briefing on this gang stuff. you know." And they're fighting an uphill battle. And I've, I've had people sitting in my classes and it's sad because no one will give them any support. They'll sit in my class. I'll bring in gang members as like assistant instructors. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Faces are flagged up, and they go to work and start to start doing their their um, section or whatever on their gang. And then there's open the Q and A, and everybody's asking questions, and they're just like, "Damn, dude! Like, we're sitting here talking to a gang member, and you've got people who are designated in a gang unit, and they've never even done a, a gang debrief or been able to." have the time to do that because they don't have check-ins or they don't have other officers or other detectives to work with them. Yeah. And so it's that idea of even the smallest departments, you've got to kind of build that, that culture within a department of gangs are the most important thing we're going to deal with because they commit crimes. Like that's what happens. Right. Right. And so it's this idea of give them the supports that they need 
If there's training out there, go to the training, share the information, go to gang intel meetings. You know, I've had people say like, I can't go to the training or I can't go to this city to, to take the class that I want because my department won't pay for it. You know, it's just, it's just weird. It's this idea of departments, not like wanting to address the problem until it's so severe that they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And then they go into like knee jerk reactions and, and oftentimes say stupid things about, well, we just need to be talking to the community. Like, yeah, no, man, that's not if the, the community. Yeah. If the community could stop the violence, they would. The community is depending on us to stop the violence. Yeah. You know? I re- <laughs> that's funny. So where I used to work, there would be waves where uh, for several years, it was right around Thanksgiving time. I don't know why, but it was. And there would be a rash of homicide. We're talking like five or six in a mm-hmm. week, you know, and yeah. which to, to some of the bigger cities, that's nothing. But to ours, it was it was pretty significant. Um, yeah. And one of the times our chief went and was like, all right, let's go to the community leaders and let's have a let's have a, a talk at the church about what do we do? Mm-hmm. And my my reaction was the exact same. Like, well, if they knew what they could do, uh, I think they would have done yeah. it by now. How about yeah. how about you do what you can do and uh, fight crime? That'd be a great idea. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's and it is. And the, and <clears throat> one of the things that I started out doing before I ever really taught classes to deputies and agents and officers and stuff was community groups and churches and stuff asking me, hey can you come in and talk to the kids, you know, or talk to the parents? The parents want to know, they know there's a gang in their neighborhood. Their kids are talking about gangs. Can you come in and talk to them? So when I started doing those presentations and just kind of talking and explaining to people, like you're going to see this bandana because, you know, you live in this neighborhood and predominantly everybody in this gang or everybody in this neighborhood is eight Trey Crip. So you're going to see a lot of blue bandanas and they're going to be folded this way and they're going to have three paisleys on this on display. So when you look at the bandana and they're going to call it a flag and, they're going to, you know, like and explaining to them these things. And so you had grandmothers and mothers and stuff that were like, wow, I I had no clue. And some of them would say, you know, well, isn't this just a phase? I'm like, well, for some of them, it may be a phase, but it's a quick way to get a damn murder charge or a mm-hmm. robbery charge very quickly, you know, and, and because we're in the South an older generation lived through violence, right. Lived through the civil rights movement, lived through, through riots. And then all of a sudden, you know, their kids are grown and their kids are having grandkids and they don't understand the gang thing because they never had to deal with that. They know violence, but they don't know gang violence. Like from within, like, Oh, you mean his cousins recruiting him into a gang and they're going to go do a shooting in the future. And the two cousins are going to now be in prison. Like, what is that about? Right. So, so there's, there's also this generational gap where when I'm talking to an older generation, we're talking about history and civil rights movement and, and student, you know, nonviolent coordinating committee and all these things that, that I love learning about when I'm talking to people and saying, yeah, things have changed. And this is what we're dealing with now. You know, these, you know, your grandson or your granddaughter has every opportunity to go to whatever school they want to go to. They can go to college. They can join the military. They can have whatever job, like all these, this world has changed, you know, in the South in the last 50 years or 40 mm-hmm. years. Oh yeah. 
but now the number one threat that, you know, as I'm talking like the number one threat, your grandson or granddaughter or grandchild or whatever is facing is from sometimes within your own family or your own neighborhood, their friends are influencing them to join a gang. And once they join it, you know, that's the fast track to prison and, and they're doing it, you know, voluntarily. So <laughs> we've had grandmothers and mothers before, you know, start swinging mm-hmm. and you, you, you know, I've had people on the curb before talking to them, trying to identify people and doing my thing. And a uh, grandmother come off. And when I say grandma, she's probably about 50 years old. Uh-huh. So she's still kind of young. She'll come off the, the front porch, come down there and, and laid the grandson out right in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah. And everybody was like, yeah, you need to get back on the porch. You know, that, that, that's the Southern saying is like, you know, he stepped off the porch. I mean, he wanted to join the gang. He's get back up on the porch. Uh-huh. Grandma's going to beat him, you know, but that idea of that type of, of grandparent who realizes this is what I'm dealing with. The, the, the rest of the country is dealing with their own problems. But right here in my neighborhood, I got my grandson who, if he comes off this porch and comes you know, half, halfway down the block, he's standing right here where shootings happen, you know, on a weekly basis or murders happen on a monthly basis yeah. and people are selling drugs and I don't want him doing that. And if you got to lock me up, lock me up. But the only way I know how to do it is, is to clean his clock right here in front yeah. of everybody. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So when stuff like that's going on and you can talk to, to grandparents or parents or whatever guardians and explain to them, cause I've gone in and taught, you know, foster care parents and stuff too. It's like, this is what you're dealing with. Treat it as an infection and know that once you start seeing these things, like either on their clothing, on a school notebook or whatever it is, whatever they can write something on, you're seeing five pointed stars. You're seeing six pointed stars. You're seeing pitchforks. You know, if you're seeing all these symbols, call me up, show me what you've got. You know, then I can kind of diagnose the infection. I can tell you, Oh, you have a six pointed star and two cross pitchforks, you know, and a devil's tail and a number six. Okay. Right here. You got gangster disciple. Now I'm going to explain to you what all this is about or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of, trying to be a resource too, to help families that once they see that a lot of times they can only do so much, but you know, there are gang members that'll be like, yeah, my mom tried. My mom knew she called me out. She hated my cousins or my brother or whatever. And I still was hard headed and went that way, you know, and joined this set. So the whole, the whole idea is like to, as a department is to try to, foster or, or to push gang information and gang training and get like create as many gang experts in a department as you possibly can so that you can do that. So you can have people teaching, you know, the community when they need to go out there and teach them, you can have, you know, units working long-term investigations, like going up on wires and doing RICO investigations and OCDF investigations, have your street levels, you know, like, the, the whole idea is to, is to push the gang intel and the gang knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. like for me, I actually go in and train the recruits in our academy early on. Hey, this is basic gang awareness. These are the, you know, 50 something sets or 50 something gangs that are operating in our city. You can't learn all of them today. <laughs> You're not going to. Here are some basic handouts, you know, that to just kind of, to explain to them, one, when you get out there, you're going to encounter this stuff. And then two, 
understand this is what this is one of the biggest things that matter in police work is is at least understanding the gang side and whether you want to be working in a gang unit or anything to do with gangs at least document the encounters at least try to get information you know or or if anything else if you become a training officer expose your rookie to this type of stuff on your beat and if the rookie is like yeah i'm all about like every day let's go to this apartment complex or this trailer park or this housing development or whatever, like I, I want to get into it or this hotel, like just that idea of keeping that knowledge going because we're going to, like I said earlier, we're going to lose it because mm-hmm. of that, because, because the shift has been so reactive instead of proactive. That's why our violence has gone up a lot. of Right. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You need that, that proactivity just in, in multiple ways, you know what I mean? And this is everything you've said tonight. I think, uh, was a new take on it, even for me, mm-hmm. like, you know, and I've, I've done long-term investigations and I've done the jump out stuff and I've done mm-hmm. investigations, but now seeing all those dots connected. And so here's mm-hmm. the thing. I worked in a city that had, you know, like I said, they had that documentary made of their, of their people, but mm-hmm. I worked another side too, where there was, there was gangs that, now that you're talking everything, I'm like, oh man, I missed all those signs. And it's crazy how I thought of them, right? As mm-hmm. guys that did drugs, but they also ran drugs. And then they happened to break into cars. Now, mm-hmm. now as you're talking, I'm going, no, they were way more organized than that because we started noticing the signs as we were doing our investigations going, no, these are all connected. And, you know, we could have had a much nicer package put together mm-hmm. had I thought of things in the way that you've described them tonight. And it's just, it's, it's crazy. Like I said, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's like looking at the world with x-ray goggles now and just seeing mm-hmm. how, you know, it, it is all in, intertwined when you have that kind of culture in your city. Yeah. And that's, it, it's once you see it and imagine now, you go, you go through training or you've, you've worked at this stuff and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm a gang expert. And then all of a sudden now you're a chief or a sheriff. Right. Like, and hopefully we've got some of that out there where, or at least a major or a captain or something where people are, have moved up the chain, excuse me. And they're like, look, you know, I don't care what everybody else says. I know police work. I know gang work. And this is what we're going to focus on. Yeah. Because when we when we've done that, when we pulled our efforts, and at the height of, I would probably say like for for us in our jurisdiction, like the height of the most gang, you know, like the most officers that that had the most gang knowledge. I mean, I had patrol officers that we would go to monthly meetings prior to COVID. You know, COVID messed up a lot of our meetings, but but I always push this too for jurisdictions get in a room together. You know what I mean. You do it on Zoom now or whatever you got to do, but like get in a room and start sharing that information and build that rapport to where like my, I have, I have patrol officers in my department that knew more about gangs than most gang units did Mm -hmm. because we shared that information. We always built on that. And it was like, you keep each other energized because some, some officer may say, may call me up and go, Hey, you know, we got this dude claiming, uh, conservative vice lords, CVL. Like, what is that all about? And I may be like, you know what? I don't know. We only had a few of them before. We look for some, you know, 
like a like a, a yellow or a gold bandana or look for VLs tattooed or you know alphanumeric uh, codes and stuff. And then we start sharing this information. All of a sudden, we go, oh, boom! Like we got you know ten new uh, conservative vice lords in our jurisdiction. And then that officer shows up to the next meeting and is prepped with all their stuff and they present on what they know about vice lords. So now everybody in the meeting is, you can have detectives in there, FBI agents, whatever. And they're like, man, this is a patrol officer, but that patrol officer is teaching us about vice lords because they've encountered them. They've done the debrief. They've got some information and it just, and it empowers a new officer or a patrol officer to have control over their own beat and also to show, Hey, I, uh, you know, I can do this job or I can bring something to the table. I'm not just consuming all this information. I'm, I'm helping put it out there. And so once you, once you tap into that officers love it, like I would have loved to have been a patrol officer, go into a meeting and talk about some of the stuff I was encountering on the street and have people who've been doing it for 10 or 15 years help me with that and also be like, wow, you're helping me learn too. that whole idea of sharing information. If you can get that in your jurisdiction and build it, it, it also spills over to other things, school threats or whatever. And, you know, you're, you're on call or you're, you're working all of a sudden it's like, Oh, we got a potential active shooter at school. No, that's a hoax. Mm -hmm. Well, let's call this jurisdiction. Let me call the gang guy over there. It's, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon and she's on midnight shifts. I know she's sleeping, but she'll wake up when my phone rings and she'll, she'll do us a favor. Hey, what are you seeing at your school? You know what I mean? It's that cashing in those favors because you build it on sharing gang information. So that's the, one of the big successes I would say, um, at least locally for us, when we built those types of networks and you sit in a room and you can have up to like 50 different people in a room from multiple jurisdictions, federal and local prosecutors, and you're all sitting in there talking about activity and people are getting something from it, not just, Hey, uh, you know, eight trades gotten involved in a shooting. It's like, no, boom, let's go through this shooting. This is what we've got. This is what we know. How does this affect your jurisdiction? You know, so-and-so lives out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. We got him. We know where he lives. Okay. Boom. You know, you're, you know, step up your proactive patrol in that area because here comes retaliation right, or, right. or maybe not even just retaliation, just crime sprees. Like we talked about Robin sweepstakes or whatever. Hey, your jurisdiction is known for having five sweepstakes and you've got two patrol officers working night shift for the whole city. Get ready. You know, your sweepstakes may get hit or you, you know, you share information to where sometimes like for, for us, we may be able to help solve a crime in a, in a joining jurisdiction because our gang members went to their city and did a robbery or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably preaching to the choir because a lot of your listeners are probably like, yeah, we go to these meetings, but if not, and you're in any kind of position to push them, I mean, it, the more you put in the meetings, the more you get out, but a lot of really good work's been done. And I've always been impressed with newer officers who are really motivated, who can, can come into a meeting and lay out what's going on in their beat who the most active people are, who's pushing the violence. It's good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about, I've never been a part of those meetings and I actually wish I was because mm -hmm. I've been part of several proactive operations in reaction to 
you know, like I said, the, the rash of homicides we were getting and they just want us to basically shake the nest and see what falls out. Right. Well, if we had a, the intel that would be provided at a meeting like that, we know yeah. what the hell we're looking for. Now, I'm yeah. not saying that maybe our commanders and our supervisors didn't know. I'm sure they did know exactly what we were looking for. But as the door kickers and the guys that were mm-hmm. chasing the cars and arresting the people, I w- yeah. you know, I'm sure the guys that I ran with, we didn't know. We were just mm-hmm. they said, "Hey, this zone needs to get flooded, so go do it." Yeah. And then we stopped everything that moved, we chased it whatever. But if we knew a little bit more and we knew kind of the thought process that went into that, I think above all else, it would have gotten a much more effective and um, a better work product. I think, you know, all that that work that we put through um, would have been more finite or more pointed. You know, you're you're going towards the common goal as opposed to, hey, we'll see what sticks. Yeah. And that's where knowing like I call them hives, you know, so you'll have like an apartment or a house or something where everybody hangs out. So it's like bees to a hive, right? So if you go into a briefing or you go into a meeting and someone says, you know, we'll just call it, you know, apartment A on your beat is the biggest problem we've got right now. And from our intel, this is what we know. A elderly lady rents the apartment. However, her great granddaughter is dating this gang member and this gang member hangs out with these guys they're known to drive this vehicle and this vehicle. Right. And guess what? Your maintenance manager has confirmed that those vehicles are there every Friday and Saturday night. Right. They hang out in the parking lot, pull your calls for service, put it up on the screen calls for service. Yeah. You got shots fired every night on Fridays and Saturdays. You got people, um, residents complaining about smell of marijuana in the parking lot. People would open containers of alcohol, slap boxing, people getting rowdy, whatever. Oh, and they're also aware of the shots being fired and believe that this is the group doing it. So then if you're sitting in a meeting like that, instead of someone saying flood the area and you're just riding around stopping every car that moves, mm-hmm. you actually go in and go, you know what? I'm going to throw on a ghillie suit and get in those bushes over there on the edge of the wood line and I'm going to watch the parking lot. You are going to watch my six and we're going to call in airstrikes. Baby. We're going to call in units to come in and stop these guys. Once we observe something, the tapping of the waistband, the adjust, I mean, hell, sadly right now you've got guys that'll pull out AKs and Dracos and stuff in the middle of parking lots. Oh, absolutely. They, Cause they don't fear that the police are going to sweep in and make arrest. So at that state right now, you have someone pulling guns out, popping shots and stuff. Then you call in your units, they stop them, they make the arrest, but you know the hive, you know where they're going to run to is that apartment, Mm -hmm. right? Sitting in a briefing like that, you would already know that. And someone would already go in and take point and be like, I'll make contact with the grandmother, great grandmother. I'll build rapport with her. I'll explain to her what we've got going on that's linked to her apartment in the parking lot because she probably has no clue because her great granddaughter's not telling her these things, right? So once you know the hive, whoever controls the hive, hey, you got all these dudes hanging out here that are being linked to your apartment. Then internally they can take care of that either through the, the granddaughter, great granddaughter, whatever. During those meetings and briefings, the officers, the the sergeants, everybody who attends is aware of that problem. Now you take ownership if that's your beat or if you're a street level unit and you're like, Hey, we'll take point on that. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I'll do surveillance. You do that. Like you set up your game plan and you hammer these places 
it's not really hard police work. It's working very smart. You focus it and it's all Intel driven like that. You yeah. share the information. And then if you're the senior guy, like on the, on your own specialized squad or senior person, you make that arrest. You take the person back and you want to interview them because they're, they're, they're popping rounds off with a rifle. Take that rookie officer, that new officer that's excited, get them in the room with you. You read them their rights and you, and you show them how to do these interviews, how these yeah. in custody interviews. Like you have to bring people along. And I know, like I said, for a lot of people, I'm preaching to the choir, but there are also people who are listening who maybe now are in positions to make those decisions and say, you know what? We're conformist at heart, which is why we're cops. You know, we, mm-hmm. we feel comfortable with the rules, but sometimes you have to think like, okay, this doesn't exist in my jurisdiction. How do I build it? Cause yeah. that's what we did. We just started calling our, our buddies that we had checked in with and stuff and be like, Hey, if we start a meeting, will you come to it? Yeah. And the meeting starts with like five people and then it's 10. And, it's, and like I said, and then you're up to like 50 and you got people in other agencies and prosecutors off saying, Hey, y'all got something going on with these meetings. Like we want to sit in on them. So mm-hmm. like for our meetings, the first hour is briefings. Like I'm going to teach you this gang and this gang or this motorcycle club, you know? So if we're going to talk about a motorcycle club, here are the cuts. Here's, you know, all the signs and symbols of the gang, how they operate. And then you get into the intel of the activity. Mm-hmm. So that way the group knows, okay, one, we're learning something. And then two, we're going to take this intel. Right. So, right. It, so at every meeting, it's almost like a training class for the first hour. And then the next hour is all the activity and, and the side chatter and stuff. But if you don't, but if you don't build in briefings in the meetings, a lot of times, the ones I've been to in other jurisdictions, sometimes they fall flat because, People don't know what they're talking about. Nobody wants to put the ego aside and go, man, you keep talking about blood, this and blood that. And I don't even know what they look like. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm dealing with. So if you come in there and teach it and say, Hey, you know, put it up on the wall, like on the PowerPoint, just, Hey, this is what I'm talking about. And, and make it so everyone shares a brain and knows exactly what we're talking about. When we leave this meeting, if nothing else, you learned about two new gangs or three new gangs. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and what it does is it hooks people and they come back to the next meeting and they're like, man, I don't know anything about the Intel and activity, but I'm just, I'm enjoying learning about these gangs. Well, who else we're going to talk about today? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I've been a part of a few gang like Intel briefs, you know, mm-hmm. and it's only been because I've, I've been part of proactive operations with gangs. And again, it's, Hey, these are the gangs in town. Go get them. That, that's yeah. it. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, and I've even thought it myself. I'm like, why? Like, what are we trying to avoid or what mm-hmm. are we trying to prevent? And they're like, oh, we're just gathering intel. Like, no, there's mm-hmm. way there. There's more than just we're we're just not on a fact finding mission. Like, you know, there's a reason you want this presence in this neighborhood. And mm-hmm. it's it, the way you're describing it, you know, by mm-hmm. saying like, hey, these are these are our gangs or this is, you know, this apartment breaking down the hive mm-hmm. is how I w- and how I envisioned police briefings just being like you know like and what a police briefing has always been for me like you know when you come in the the beginning of your tour is just all right did everyone finish their uh reports for last night all right you've got corrections uh nothing else happened during the day and that's like the most useless waste of my first 15 (laughs) minutes of shift like tell brief me on something don't don't just you know do do housekeeping stuff you can email me and say hey you forgot to submit your report last night Right. Brief me on something. So you're yeah. right. You know, there, I'm sure there's a lot of people, probably, unfortunately, not as many as we would hope, 
that is preaching to the choir. I think a lot of this conversation today has mm-hmm. been in, for me inspiring and, and educational because it's, it's stuff that probably people were curious about, but they mm-hmm. never knew where to start, where to, where to begin this, this quest for this knowledge. And now that you've opened that door, they can request more of it, either request more of their supervision and their department and be like, Hey, I know that we have shootings, like you said, every Friday and Saturday night at this apartment complex. What's going mm-hmm. on there and what do we know already? Yes. And, you know, and then evolving that into just basic street level intel and beyond. And I know that there's supervisions, you know, up and down the rank that listen to this. And hopefully there's going, you know, we don't have a gang unit, but we do have a gang problem. Like mm-hmm. we, we need to do something about that. Yeah, and you don't even you don't have to name it gang unit. Right. You know what I mean? Like there are people that they'll hear something like that and immediately, oh my gosh, our city is inundated with gangs, right? Mm-hmm. You can call it something innocuous. I don't care what you call the unit. You could just call it whatever, like the cat commander's detail or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just pull a group of hard chargers who are going to act on the intel and then have people who can actually develop the intel. Now, sometimes I go hand in hand and you'll have an officer who's really good at street encounters and developing information on the fly. They'll stop a car. They'll flip a person very quickly and be like, yeah, you got this many traffic charges. You got some marijuana, but we're out here working this shooting. Give me a little something, you know, and then people a lot of times about you didn't hear it from me, but this is what the shooting is about. Or y'all need to look at so-and-so, right? Like, that sort of thing. Yeah. So the, the the whole idea of addressing the problem and especially for police officers, like we, we have to get in the, in the realm of being problem solvers again. Yeah. Cause that, cause that was the big push when I first got on a department and, and you're going to ever, all this, you know, terminology comes and goes. And like I said earlier, it's proactiveness, reactiveness, proactive, but the whole idea of just solving problems. So for me, it was like, I can sit around and complain that, you know, we don't have enough gang officers or we don't have enough gang information, you know, or the few of us that really like working gangs will share the information. And then all of a sudden, bam, we're all on the same unit together. And now we're moving at a hundred miles an hour. Hey, how can we make it better? Let's start these meetings or let's start training. Let's start teaching. Like the idea was always, how can we, how can we proliferate? How can we make our unit be more effective than just us? Like, how can we bring people on board to really want to help us too? You know, like if we're going to run a project and we're going to do surveillance and we're going to have units make an arrest, Hey, let's grab some other hard charges off patrol and, and say, Hey, you willing to come in? Like we had officers that would come in on their days off Mm -hmm. just to get into some work and be like, okay, I like what y'all do. That's what I want to learn how to do. Or they already know how to do it. Like, you know, there, there were really good patrol officers like, look, this is my beat. I know all the cuts. Y'all are going to work this night. Let me come in. I'll be your runner for you. So when they take off, I know the cuts, I'll catch them. Don't worry. And if they do run, I already know who they are. So I'll take the warrants out. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. this idea of, of, you know, getting, getting officers back into that idea, you know, that it's okay to have a free thought or to 
try to problem solve or to build something within your department and be passionate about and that you're going to get pushback. I mean, I've had pushback my entire career, but I've also had a lot of really good officers help me. You know what I'm saying? And, Mm -hmm. and people who even didn't care much about gangs, but they knew, okay, this guy cares about gangs and what he's doing is positive and it is having effect. So whatever, like there'll be district commanders who would be like, whatever you need, you got it. And a lot of times I would just ask, Hey, just make sure your officers can attend these meetings, you know, or if we have some training, try to try your best to be able to get them into the training because it's only going to help your district, you know? So that was the, that's the big thing is like the, the whole idea of just being negative about your environment or negative. And there's things you can't control and there's things you can control. And that's, it's always been my thing is I've always had the uphill battle, but always trying to explain if, if we address this problem this way, we got about a 90% chance of curbing the violence or clearing the homicide or identifying the suspects. But if we do nothing, <laughs> then the violence is only going to, is only going to increase. Right. You know? Or the homicide is going to go unsolved or the, or the shooting is going to go unsolved. So why not let's try this technique or why not, you know, help us kind of institute this, this, um, this culture of gang work or this idea of no matter what assignment you're in, you can contribute somehow, some way. I mean, I would have captains sometimes come in the gang meetings and do nothing more than take notes. And really what they were doing is paying attention to the officers and going, wow, there's, you know, 20 officers out here in uniform and some of them on their days off that are plugged in and are, are loving what they do as a leader then I need to encourage that. Right. Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. was always good for me to see that. And I've, I've done presentations at conferences in front of chiefs and sheriffs and stuff, and they'll come up afterwards and, you know, Hey, what's my jurisdiction like, or this or that. And I'm like, Hey, if you had a gang unit, they could tell you, like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And not in a bad way. It's just that idea of like, it's okay to address the gang problem. Just don't call it a gang unit. Right. Call right. It- There's, Call Smoke it a mirrors. Problem. Call it what you yeah, want. Problem-oriented unit or something. I don't care what yeah, you call it. Yeah. Just let them go to work, and then they can brief you and explain to you, yes, Sheriff, or yes, Chief, uh, we got a really bad problem. Because when I say what we have in our city, for the for the persons you know, who don't know anything about gangs, it blows their mind. And uh-huh. the first thing they do is go into panic mode. And then it's like, stop. <laughs> Just because we have this many gangs does not mean those gang members are out committing violence or that there are more than five or 10 members in that set that we have validated or identified, you know, which is good and bad. It's Mm -hmm. good that, Hey, they're not that big. It's bad because now you've got 50 plus organizations that at any time could have problems with one another or could, could grow, you know, overnight. And same thing with the motorcycle club. You mentioned that earlier, man, the South right now, is huge expansion for criminal motorcycle clubs. You know, the one percenters that you're talking about. Yeah. And it's, it is, you can track it in the news. I mean, you well, sometimes the news won't report necessarily if it's a motorcycle club, cause they may not know, mm-hmm. but you can track the violence and be like, yeah, it's here. And the clubs are posturing and chapters are increasing. So clubs that have really not been in the South that are maybe from the West coast, or from the Midwest or up top, you know, New York, Maryland or whatever are now setting up chapters throughout the South. And it's, 
disrupting a lot of the peace, you know, that, that has been for so long in the South because you just didn't have, you know, hell's angels beefing with pagans here. You didn't have outlaws and Mongols and wheels of soul, you know, and outcast and like all these different motorcycle clubs starting chapters. I mean, you had some chapters here and there, but, but man, right now in the last probably five years, multiple chapters. Yeah. In multiple and, states. and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll notice that the, the news when they report on things like that, and even, even just, you know, street gang violence, it, they, they never say it's gang violence. Cause I mean, they may, but it's always just like, or I've noticed that it's, Oh, it was a shooting and the, uh, yeah. all accomplices, all, all involved parties were on motorcycles and two people took off. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. huh, that sounds a lot like a target or like something was involved there. And yeah, my, my old uh, jurisdiction, we had multiple, uh, not only motorcycle gangland, uh, you know, fights and altercations, but we had flat out murders and fire bombings and things like that, yeah. that were never reported as such, but by being on the street. And, and like I said, I've been part of a bunch of different operations regarding that. I kind of knew what it was, you know, like yeah. it wasn't just a, happenstance that there was a fire at this bar that was frequented by bikers. No, it was a intentional act, you know, and it just kind of goes yeah. from there. Um, BC, we are going to wrap though. Um, we're kind of, we're, we're pushing into the two hour mark, so we're going to wrap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but the, the coolest thing about this conversation is that we literally could just keep going and we can get more yeah. and more. And I, I think that is definitely going to be, uh, in our in our very very near event horizon, um, but in the meantime, before we get you on and we start talking more gangs, and I'd actually, as you were talking, I was like, you know, we got to have you on, and we got to talk about flipping informants because I feel like that yeah. is an art form of itself. Um, but before we do mm-hmm. all that, you know, and in the meantime, if people have questions for you, if they want to kind of pick your brain about this, or starting a gang unit, or gathering intel, or just communicating with people on the streets. How do they reach out to you? Yeah. So I only do Instagram and it's just B as in Bravo. So it's just B dot or period C as in Charles dot period, right? BC Sanders. S A N. Yeah. D E R S. And that's it. And and if someone, if people just want to, you know, shoot me a message, uh, I've had people, uh, cause I've done other podcasts people, um, shoot me pictures of graffiti and be like, Hey, I'm out. Like dude was out in like the Midwest or, or a rural area. And I was like, I got gangs, uh, but I'm just not getting a lot of help. And he sends me a picture of the graffiti. I'm like, yeah, man, this is what you got this is what you're dealing with. And sometimes you can look at the graffiti and be like, yeah, you're probably dealing with a 13 or 14 year old. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. However, they're learning it from somebody out there, but either way, whatever people need, just shoot me a message. I'll do everything I can to help them. Awesome. Awesome. And everyone knows, you know, BC was on punk rock cops back in I think it was November. <laughs> yeah. We're going to yeah. be doing part two with Dave probably in a few weeks here. So yes. uh, we're going to schedule that. Then we're going to do all that. So even if you have questions about punk rock music or skill set magazine or yeah. anything like that, BC's your guy, hit him up. Uh, just a plethora of knowledge. And uh, speaking of which, you also are a partner on another podcast, right? I guess we'll give it a yeah. plug to that too. Yeah, so I started uh, doing a podcast with uh, Jason Piccolo, and he does the Protectors podcast, but we kind of partnered up to do um, Protagonist, Antagonist. It's just the PA podcast, 
and all we do is talk movies. So it's like, it's really laid back, a lot of fun. We'll have guests on and then the guests, they pick whatever movie they want to, and then we'll talk about it. So we've done, um, Matt Klein from Battle Tribe came on. He does a lot of like the Star Wars, Predator, Aliens mm-hmm. type uh, artwork and merchandise. He came on, we talked to Aliens. Um, we've had several other guests that come on and they pick their movies and we talk and just and have fun. It's on Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, live on uh, YouTube through Jason stuff uh, with the Protectors um, YouTube channel. Awesome. So usually, usually I'll throw up the links or the reminders. Um, I think I just posted one tonight for tomorrow night show. Uh, we're going to do the big Lebowski and nice. we're going to have, yeah, that. yeah, we're going to have Roman Roselle who is like this badass uh, former green beret wrestled for Arizona state. Like just a really, really good guy. And that's his favorite movie. So we're going to, he's going to come on tomorrow night. And we're going to talk about the big Lebowski. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Jason hit me up. I think I'm going to be on there. Eventually we're going to talk uh, yes. Donnie Darko. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, that's what I mean. Like, no drama, no politics, just talking movies. Let's and talk then movies. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. Yeah. So everyone, go check that out. And uh, again, reach out to BC. BC, thank you so much for your time yet again. Learned a lot. Hopefully, my listeners did, and hopefully, they hit you up and uh, start picking your brain. Yep. Thank you, buddy. All right. No problem. Everyone, listen. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. If you didn't learn anything about gangs after this episode, uh, then you're just, you're a liar. You're a liar. I had no idea that gangs were literally as organized as BC made it out to be. I've learned a little bit uh, from watching The Wire, of all places, but uh, I, you know, the idea that there's official meetings, that people pay dues, things like that, like, when you're working the street, it all just seems like organized chaos, if any organization at that like i it's hard to pick out who's the player who's doing what who's you know running what who's the boss and well it was now if i were still working the street and using the information that just bc said in the last two hours i'd be able to really work the street work my beat a whole lot different so i really hope you guys take a chance and uh and start talking to people that's what it comes down to i had someone hit me up on instagram the other day and they said that you know they were freaking out about oral boards and i i responded to them like oral boards should not be something that you freak out about you're literally selling yourself you're you're convincing people uh and and just talking which is really what we do in policing on a day-to-day and so I I implore and I challenge you all to get out on your beats, even if you don't have a, I mean, you've got to have some kind of criminal element, but even if you don't have an obvious criminal element like dope boys on the corner, get out with people, talk to them, not just the people that show up to coffee with a cop, talk to 
the people playing basketball at the rec center, the, the people who are just hanging out at the convenience store. Just talk to people. And I've said this for several episodes now, but you're going to learn more about your city than you ever did just sitting in your squad car and answering calls. So aside from all the gang knowledge, I really hope that was, that was kind of the key point that I took away from the conversation. Hopefully you guys did too. So that will conclude today's episode today, folks. I hope you guys learned a lot. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, my guest, BC Sanders, go check him out on Instagram and uh, check out the protagonist antagonist podcast as well. Uh, like I said, I'm going to try to get on there very soon. Next week, we've got BC back. We're going to do a doubleheader. And we also have my buddy Dave, Unita back uh, on the show. We're going to be talking punk rock as well. Punk Rock Cops 2. Uh, we're actually going to be talking, it's actually Punk Rock Cops 2, Skate or Die. We're going to be talking skateboarding, art, and a bunch of other stuff. So you're not going to want to miss that. And we're going to give some shout out to a couple other Punk Rock Coppers out there. I was going to do a big episode uh, like I do for like leadership and things like that. But I decided not to because it's hard to get all those schedules to, to link up the right way. So just those two plus me, it's going to be a lot of fun. As always, guys, rate, review, subscribe, and share. Check out the merch. Check out all my other stuff. I've got a bunch of things coming down the way, guys. New stickers, new shirts, everything. 10-8-memes.ecwid is the merch store if you want to check it out. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I got for now, but we got big things coming. So stay tuned. Thank you all for your support. Till next time, friends, take care of each other. Stay safe. 10-8, out! Meet me down at the corner store. Left home on a whim for the faster roads of bad hoes. Told me it don't matter though. You can have my money, you can have my soul. Now, nah, see what I need a dollar for. Go, he wiped my ass with a pile of dough. So, yo, one time, how you feel? Cause I feel like money ain't real, you can holler, ho. Bitch, everybody get like this. Put a little bait to the wind, I'm blessed. Put the window down, but the tune's on blast. See, we go slow, but these days go fast. Days go fast, and I'm home again. I'm talking, I got five on the phone, a friend, I'm blown again. And I don't need none, matter of fact, one time, holla back. If you feel like that, like that. Meet me down at the corner store. Pick me up and let's go around on now at 24. Ain't got no money, ain't got no job, ain't got a debit number. How we waste our days We slave away and we taste our pay Too young to die but we too old to try So we getting high, getting blessed all day Backseat ghosts and hands to the sky God, you got it right, we gon' dance till we die Let's get sexy, baby, stay with me Lightweight chick, get faded so quickly To see something to see And I believe for a dollar in a dream Should be something for me So let me wander, let your mind wander We go for broke for this endless summer 
And it's all I can do to stay true Finger to the whole damn world plus you uh, Let's ride, baby, jump in the back one time Holla back if you feel like that, like that She said I'm slipping lately Well, I said I'm living, baby You sit up there in your high chair and judge I think you're crazy She said I never make it Well, I say life's what you make it I got no care, I got nowhere to be I'm living, baby Meet me down at the corner store Pick me up in this corral now at 24 Ain't got no money, got no job, ain't got a care in the world She said, you live your life like a vagabond And I said, you always looking for something wrong Ain't that right? Ain't got no money, got no job, ain't got a care in the world 